yeah, why do guys do that? Like, my life sucks. I think my kids and wife need to die. I bet this kid's going to say I have a small dick at some point. I think it's because every single one of those guys that did that probably had to uh, perform some sort of ritual that changed the world completely so that men could no longer hold the power of magic uh, or they go crazy. That is true. I bet they all touched the taint at some point. The taint. But that's another thing we're going to have to get into is how often the word taint <laughs> oh, is <no>. used. <laughs> Wait, they actually say that? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, tons. There's a lot of taint in this book. <laughs> uh, I don't remember that, but um, I'm excited now. That's what causes the men to go crazy. Touching the taint causes madness. Touching the taint makes the boys go mad. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Bridge Burners Book Club, where together we read, discuss, criticize, and get excited about all things fantasy. I'm your host, Sean, and with me is my co-host, Tyler. Tyler? Tyler? Ben? Hello? Anybody? That's right. Today is something a little bit different. It's just me here doing the intro. And that is because this week we had a few technical issues which set back the production of the podcast. We had to do some re-recording, which was a real bummer, but we managed to scrape it together and save the episode. So that will be coming to you out on Tuesday of next week, and then we will have the next episode like usual on Thursday. So there will be a uh, slight delay on getting your next chapter readings here, but In the meantime, we decided to do a release of a sort of sample test podcast where we did a few little discussions about Wheel of Time and some other fantasy stuff before we began actually recording for the real thing. And I think there's some fun, interesting stuff in there, so I got it all cobbled together into an episode, and we're going to go ahead and play that for you now. It's really just kind of a stream of consciousness, or three people's streams of consciousness weaving in and out of each other. But it should be fun. We touch on how this podcast got started a little bit, and we talk about things like the Malazan books, which is where the name of this podcast comes from, as well as some general things about the Wheel of Time, which I will note have a few small spoilers about stuff that happens later in the series. But I think for most people that have probably seen the show as well, it's not that big of a deal. And it's like I said, it's really general. So I wouldn't worry about it too much unless you're a real stickler for spoilers and you're actually going along with this podcast as you're reading the first book for the first time. You don't want to know anything about it. Then maybe avoid this discussion or at least some of it. But other than those few things, it's pretty much just a free-ranging discussion. So enjoy and you will hear from me again on the outro. Oh yeah, that brings up, are we swearing in this? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would be able to not. I think we should avoid like really horrible things. Yeah. Like don't say nipples. Yeah. Don't say anything too racist. I can do some minimal (laughs) racism, but you know, not too much. If it's fantasy racism, (laughs) the soulless ideal. 
Yeah, it's okay if they're a non-human race, but they have to not be too coded as just being a different version of the actual race. Oh, I'm going to be talking about the anti-tinker racism and uh, what that really is. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some uh, miffy things like that in fantasy from time to time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, I was also like, I remember reading The Wheel of Time when I was like in high school and like, wow, this is there's a lot of girl power stuff in here. That's pretty cool. And like, and now I'm reading as an adult, I'm like, man, it kind of makes these women sound annoying it's definitely pissing off all the dudes there's like a gender conflict going on in Eamon's field that I didn't really pick up the first time around that's pretty funny they're powerful but he makes them pay for it in shallow annoyingness yeah I had a general question about that as far as the whole series goes and it sort of applies to that as well as just a lot of things about it there's definitely this divide between gender as far as like the actual laws of the universe go, at least in this age, because I know it sort of has been changed as far as who can control magic and not go crazy and all that. Yeah. So those are like essential laws of the universe about who can do what. Mm -hmm. Does that get turned up on its head, you know, throughout the series? Yes. Uh, yeah, but also, like, I don't feel like, it, I mean, Ben, correct me because you've read further, but they don't really confront the binary very much. Like, Rand mm. gets his powers. Yeah. And therefore, he's kind of the gender bender of the, of the universe. <laughs> they create a male tower. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is true. But it doesn't really work out. It doesn't quite work out to be equal because I don't want to spoil it too much. Yeah, because I mean, they're, that is, they're, they're, they have the limitations that they have, and we'll kind of get into that with the cosmology, I guess. But with all the skirt fluff, skirt straightening, and braid tugging, becomes like what Rand is doing is taking power away from women. Kind of, I mean, that's the simplistic way of looking at it. Yeah, it's like for this being an immutable law of the universe, there still seems to be a shit ton of conflict about it. It's not like, wow, women have this awesome inborn power and therefore our society is more peaceful and advanced, which you can kind of say that. I mean, he's trying to kind of make that point at times, but it's like women have this power and dudes are kind of pissed about it. Well, the Aes Sedai aren't, they don't rule. They are mediators and they, you know, work the levers of power, but they're still kings and queens. Yes. But if you look at like two rivers versus like medieval France, there's more of a place for women than it would be like more traditional, like a fantasy world. Oh, yeah, definitely. But the Ace that I just, I mean, they're just not like the government. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about like the women's circle in the town, right? If we're looking at just like the first little. Because a lot of them are, they're channelers. Yeah. Even if they're not Ace Sedai, a lot of them have minor magic capabilities. I was noticing in that chapter one, it's like, they kept talking about the town council and the town council sounds like it's all men. And then there's the women's circle and they sort of also have power, but separately. But I know this is also divided by like magic and things like that throughout society, maybe not specifically in Two Rivers. How much does the magical law side of things uh, end up having to do with who has power in society? And then like kind of what you're talking about with like how things get turned up on their heads occasionally or whatever, like is it portrayed as something that's a short-term pain that happens when all of a sudden there's a man that can control or channel the power? Mm. They're just growing pains that have to do with that because now all of a sudden the way that society is uh, divided up uh, as far as power goes is being turned up on his head and now we have to reorganize or is that even really acknowledged? There's like a person now that defies the standard way we have of looking at things there's definitely a point where Rand rises above all civilization, basically. 
yeah. But I mean, that what you're really identifying is kind of like the central conflict of the series is like, yeah, this very in this very gender binary world, here's somebody who breaks that, which I feel like they could have maybe done a little bit more. I don't know, thoughtfully, but yeah. And there's also uh, Forsaken that, if I remember right, come back in men and women's forms. Like they'll die and they'll be reborn in a female body. Yeah. I mean, there's the, uh, you know, men, anytime they, any man with power comes around, the Ace put together a hunting party and gentle him in prison and then cleanse the source. Which is in itself kind of like a, a demasculating type thing, right? Or defeminizing. And that's, I mean, it's interesting. Like, there's a gender conflict, I think, that's kind of at the core of the book that, you know, we're definitely going to get into as it goes along. Oh, and also there's a uh, a good old-fashioned, what do you call it? The Mormon thing with wives. Polygamy? Yeah. Polygamy. <laughs> yeah. Dude, because, like, ladies love some Randall Thor, I'll tell you that. Sister wives. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm excited to uh, read this again now. Yeah, it would be kind of interesting, actually, to look at all the different weird religious influences in here, because I was just got me reading about Jainism and, like, the whole idea of the Wheel of Time and where, like, Shaitan and stuff comes from. Yeah. All interesting stuff. Definitely a grab bag more than, like, a coherent thing through a religion. Like, oh, there's a creator, but there's also a wheel. Uh, and there's also a bad guy. And the bad guy is actually, like, way more present in our lives than any of the good guys. Yeah. That makes me, uh, I, this is a good spot to then to ask about sort of a general question I had, um, which is like, do you guys think having read at least most or all of this series, do you consider Robert Jordan, or at least in this series, to be like a big planner? I know a lot of the times I've heard the archetypes described as fantasy authors or just authors in general being um, architects versus gardeners. You know, so like you start out as an architect with this grand plan for the entire series start to finish and maybe you fill in things along the way or change things along the way. But for the most part, it's like set in stone for what ideas he had. Or do you think he was more of a gardener in the sense that he just kind of wrote the first book and then kept evolving the ideas from there? I'm such an in the moment reader that like I don't think back on things that much when I'm reading. Um, but given the length of the series... I mean, he had written out when he passed it off to Brandon Sanderson, the whole framework of the end was there. Or when his wife did, he was already dead. But you can't take 13 books to write a series and be an architect. Yeah, but I think like he definitely had a good framework. Yeah. Like he was sitting down like, okay, he wasn't sitting down like, I'm going to write a story about a dude and like about 20 pages in. Oh, maybe this dude is something. Like he knew what Randall Thor was. This was the story of the Dragon Reborn from the beginning. And there's prophecy that involves multiple characters. So yeah, I guess, I mean, it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, it's got to be some improvisation along the way, connect the dots and, you know, new characters that become more integral than he would have expected. I've been thinking about that because I was uh, actually kind of one of the inspiration that made me want to kick off doing this. There's a uh, newer podcast uh, called Lost in Roshar that is like a couple guys talking about um, the Stormlight Archive and going through it basically like this and, and doing a few chapters at a time. But one of them, you know, is like super into having read through all the forums and discussions and like interviews with Brandon Sanderson and stuff where having listened to him talk like that about these books where they're breaking down all these hints like in the prologue of the first book and on that are like, 
holy shit, that's something that didn't get fully revealed or like revealed at all until like the fifth book. But he was hinting at it from page one and throwing in all these characters that you're not told who they are until like a few books later. But they're actually they've been in the series on and off the whole time and things like that. I really like um, Stormlight Archive, but sometimes, you know, occasionally I'm like, okay, Brandon Sanderson gets a little too um, young adult for me in some of his writing and things like that. But overall, I enjoy it a lot because I really like that feeling of, holy shit, that's this connection here. Yeah, there's all this stuff interconnected and he's like got to be one of the top people at doing that planning bit where he's thought about this so far ahead of time. Oh, yeah, he's got... What's that dude that exists within the different series, within the Cosmere? Hoyd. Hoyd, yeah. There's probably more than that. Yeah, there are. So I've got, I've got two thoughts about that. As dungeon masters sometimes do, sometimes you just lay down a bunch of real random shit early on, and then later on, you're like, okay, here's a bunch of pieces I can pick back up and weave in as needed, and it looks really cool because, yeah, here's a connection back to the first thing. Like, oh, yeah, remember that the looking glass you picked up and now I'm playing with that. And that's what you can kind of do when you're kind of making something chronological is you do have the option of just like going back and putting ties into stuff that you did. And it feels really cool like that. Specifically, I have one crazy memory about that. that I just like, I know it can't have been planned. So in the first Malazan book, Gardens of the Moon, there's in Darujistan that guard called the Circle Breaker. They don't explain why he's called the Circle Breaker, but there's a little bit of a prophecy there. Well, that shit doesn't come around until the book eight or whatever of the second series, Novels of the Malazan Empire. So yeah, so something that was written 15 years later, Esselmont writes this book that actually tells what the Circle Breaker is all about and all that stuff. But like, that's the first book in the series. I don't think they were really thinking through what is it, the, I don't know, who invades Darujistan, the dudes with the masks. Um, I'm losing my Malazan names over time, but the Sagula, the Sagula, like, so all of that is like represent, like the Sagula invasion that's coming. I don't think they knew that in the first, while he was writing Gardens of the Moon, he just kind of put some spooky stuff in there that then later became a different story. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of Gardens of the Moon is that. Yeah, definitely. And then starting from there, like from uh, Deadhouse Gates on, it's like much more, there's a plan. Yeah. But man, I think Gardens of the Moon is like way underrated. It's just exciting. There's just a lot going on. There's just so many things. You're like, oh my God, there's a big battle and then there's fucking bugs. An assassin's intrigue. Yeah, there's a, like gods taking over a lady and uh, you see literally 200 horses get eaten by giant dogs. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think Gardens of the Moon, the thing about it that I remember when I first started reading it was it just felt like a collection of really memorable, interesting scenes, but I had no fucking clue what was going on in any of them. But I was like, oh, wow, this setting seems really interesting and I want to know what happens. But you just have to do that thing where you sort of trust that eventually this will get explained. And I, that's funny thinking about it in the way that he probably didn't plan a lot of like how these things would end up playing out later, but it was just like, we got all these world building ideas and character ideas and we'll just start throwing them in. And then there's like a big gap between that and the second book. And yeah, like you're saying after Dead House Gates and starts feeling like it flows a little more with a little more thought behind uh, how everything is presented to you. But I do agree that that book is probably underrated, but I can also see how anybody um, starting the series can very easily get turned off. Just like, why? What? There's so many things. Why is there an animate puppet that's... <laughs> yeah, Hairlock. Yeah. I love not knowing what's going on as long as it's entertaining. Like, I love being like, oh, shit, I, I got to figure some stuff out. 
Like I love coming into a book that way, as long as it's paced right. And like, you really got to compensate for with other stuff if you're coming in without setting up anything. Yeah. Well, bringing it back to Wheel of Time, that's why I'm really glad that the prologue is like, what, 12 pages or something? It's like, there's a lot of just random shit and you're there like, oh, I'm the creator and the betrayer of hope and all these things. But then like, you get straight to a dude turning himself into a volcano real fast and then like, ah, okay. And then it's over. And now the the, the age turns, you're like, that was a taste of a bunch of stuff that I'll probably know, understand later. Yeah. But it moves fast enough that you're not too bogged down by it. Which definitely Malazan can get there in the middle chapters. It's a real simple story. There's one POV for the majority of this book going forward. Yeah, yeah. I was noticing that when I was looking through like the chapters to come. I was like, oh, so this is just like rand, 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 rand. And then eventually I know that, you know, they split up some of the characters. And I think you get, I think like Perrin's point of view and probably some other people. But you get a ton of Matt. Matt Matt's turn, spun off from the group. Yeah, but this this whole book is road trip, baby. It's going to be good when we get into it. Yeah, did you, um, having you know read this, and I guess I've read the first book, it seemed to me with the show, the TV show, they really took a lot of liberties with some changes that happened in the first season. But like, was that stuff just parts, other parts of the series put into the first season as opposed to the first book? Or do you guys remember much like if they actually changed things? Uh, I've watched like the first episode and I was like, this is something. <laughs> they, I think like most of the stuff was in the series, but they skipped over a lot. Like they didn't add a lot of extraneous things, but I think they skipped over a lot of stuff. And then they kind of like amalgamated, not some characters, but like events that happen in like, uh, what's the Ace Die City Tamerlan? I don't remember what it's called. Tarvelin. Just as a show, um, I could see how, especially if you've read the books it, down the line, it would probably could uh, get annoying with like maybe if there's changes to characters and things like that. But I thought that the um, at least like the casting was pretty good. I thought that I, I don't really know any of these actors. I think they're probably all pretty much unknown for the most part. They're all hot as hell. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I liked uh, Rosamund Pike. Yeah. And the uh, art direction seems to be pretty good, too. I like the costumes of the episode I watched. It was good. But then a bunch of Trollocs busted in and I was just like, whoa, this is too much. The guy they chose to, well, I'm assuming it replaced Matt. The guy on this poster looks way more Matt-like than the original actor. Oh, they replaced him? I didn't even realize that. Yeah, he got fired. Oh, shit. Did he do something bad? Yeah, yeah. I think some Me Too type. Oh, yeah. Barney Harris then changed to Donald Flynn. And so that's why they, that's one big thing I do not think they did in the, I can't say for sure until we reread this book, but when they separated out Matt from the rest of the group. Yeah. I was wondering about that. I don't think that happens. Not in this part, not this early on. Yeah. I was wondering if that maybe he like separates a little bit down the line, maybe or something. But yeah, it was like, they, they don't really bother characterizing like, why what's happening with him is happening. You know, I know that there's the whole evil dagger thing. Oh, he's got the dagger. Yeah. Yeah. But like, aside from that, they don't, in the show, I think that you get more in the book, but like, you don't get that much of like, why he would even want to split up from them. You know, it's just like, he had an evil dagger and then he got like exercised or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and then he just leaves them at the end for whatever reason. And you don't, you don't see him again. Yeah. I feel like it's a pretty, it, it did a good job with some aspects, but yeah, I'll be interested to see how that plays out. 
Yeah, I was entertained. One thing that I was going to mention, though, is that I feel like sometimes I enjoy the way they portrayed magic in it, especially like the first episode, maybe. I think Moraine is fighting the Trollocs and stuff at the end of it. It made me think, like, especially at, it depends what kind of budget you have for a show, but like, I'm imagining things like talking about Malazan. Would you even want an adaptation of Malazan to be a live series or probably the same with a lot of epic fantasy stuff where yeah, I can't imagine them trying to portray that level of magic and it would just end up being like underwhelming CG a lot of the time? Yeah. I mean, I would love to see it, but I don't think it will ever live up to it. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I disagree because I'm reading the, I was just been rereading the first book and like the magic is all kind of either really close personal type magic, like yours, like quick Ben casting some spells, which I think could like easily be done with CGI. Giant crazy battles, which are like a challenge to be sure, but I think would be just like cool to see. Like you could show the Battle of Pale and like Moon's spawn collapsing and crushing a thousand soldiers and like demons popping up at a gun. Like you could do like crazy big battles, I think pretty easily with CGI. And then there's like the rest of it's just like traveling, right? They go into a war and wow, now you're in like a crazy place. But that's now with like the Mandalorian style, whatever it is where they do the LED projection around the actors. I feel like that would be super easy to do. Yeah, I think Game of Thrones pioneered the whole um, set extension thing on TV quite a bit as with fantasy where you're just like, oh, what are these really cool locations? And then you see that it's like 30% of it is a real place that does look really cool. And then they just extended it from there. And that works some of the time, but uh, I always think would I want this as a TV show or would I want, would I rather have like an anime series or something like that? Malazan would make a really dope anime series. Yeah. There's so many power level rising moments, Super Saiyan. Yeah. If you had like the attack on Titan company or something like that, making a Malazan series, I'd be excited. They would do the chain of dogs very well, I bet. We should probably start the first episode with the disclaimer, this is not a Malazan podcast. Not yet. <laughs> this is not a Malazan podcast, but we will just, we will probably bring it up. Oh, we will get there. All right. And I just want to say that I do believe we held true on that promise. We just kept talking about Malazan the entire time and comparing everything to it. You don't even know the things that I've cut out of this show. I hope that that was entertaining, enlightening, energizing, all of those E words that we all love. I enjoyed listening back to it as I re-edited. And like I said, we'll be back with two of our regular episodes next week, so that should be fun. We would love it if you follow us on Instagram at Bridgeburners Book Club, at Twitter at Bridgeburners BC, and find us on YouTube at Bridgeburners Book Club, where we will be posting full episodes, clips, and polls. If you would like to write in, shoot us an email at bridgeburnersbc at gmail.com with any comments, questions, or contentions, and maybe we'll read them on air. You can also join our Discord with the link in the episode description for discussions, to ask questions, or post your best memes. It really helps if you give us a rating on Apple and Google Podcasts, so please consider helping the show to grow. I'm the Sean Chan, and for my co-hosts, Ben Bowie and Tyler the Creator, thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week.